Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world with the good news by making disciples of Jesus Christ. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from yesterday's message from our We Are series. Let's take a listen. Today, um, we're going to look at intentional community. And then the other three for the next several weeks is grateful generosity, active humility, and surrendered obedience. But today, as we look at intentional community, this is one that if you know anything about me, you know that this is kind of my heart. This is something that I'm very, very passionate about. I love being a part of something. I guess growing up as an athlete, I loved being a part of a team. I loved being a part of something that won. And that's the beautiful part of God's church, of his family, is that we are guaranteed victory. I went to North Hall. That was never guaranteed. But I was still part of the team. But this is a team that is undefeated, that will always be undefeated. And so we're gonna talk about the intentional community. And like we said last week, I want you to hear my heart when I tell you this. Intentional community is not something that we just thought of. Intentional community is the heartbeat of our Savior, is the heartbeat of who God is. The definition of community is this. It's a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. And this is God's heartbeat. He created community. And so we're gonna see that this has always been God's heartbeat. And look, I'm going ahead and tell you right now, you better be getting ready to flip, okay? We're gonna be, we, we preach the Bible, we teach the Bible, so we're gonna have to flip a lot in the Bible, okay? You good with that? You're gonna feel like we're in Bible school and we're doing um, what they used to call it, the um, sword drill. Yeah, that's what it was called. Sword, somebody said fire drill. No, not a fire drill, sword drill. Genesis chapter one, verse 26. You're gonna hear how God has always been about community. Genesis chapter one, verse 26. Listen to what the Lord says. It says, then God said, let us. He didn't say, let me. He said, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. The plurality of the word us there already is speaking to the Trinity. Remember, this is God. He could have done it however he wanted to. But we know that inside the Trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now look, that is something very hard to teach on, that's very hard to understand, that you have three separate entities that make up one God. But what we see there is that God's heart was for community. He was already talking about us. He was already talking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then very quickly, we flip over to chapter two of Genesis, in verse 18 of chapter two. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. And that's where all the women go, amen. I will make him a helper suitable for him. You see that God did not want man to live in isolation. He wanted community. And we know what happened next. He caused him to fall asleep. He took a rib, he created the woman. And then what did he tell him to do? Be fruitful and multiply. 
The whole household has that down. We're taking care of all you other slides. We got it, okay? If you want one, <laughs> you can find them on Craigslist. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But we see that that is something that God has always desired is multiples. He's always wanted community. He's always wanted people to do life together. So up to this point in chapter two, we see already that we have the Father, we have the Son, we have the Holy Spirit. Now we have Adam and Eve, and then he's telling them to continue to grow my kingdom. And so right now in that moment of time was created the absolute perfect community with no sin. They were in harmony with the Lord. Everything was exactly the way that God had created it. This whole puzzle of community was complete. This puzzle was complete. And then if you know anything about the scripture, you know what happens next. The sin was birthed. They were commanded by God what not to do. And we see that all of a sudden this puzzle that had been completed and was pieced together exactly how God wanted it, was in perfect community, was in perfect harmony with the fall of mankind. And all of a sudden, what happened to that puzzle next? Was it was torn to shreds because of sin. The puzzle had been dismantled, not because of something that God did, but because something man chose to do. He chose to chase after his flesh. He chose to chase after what he wanted. Sin entered the world and it destroyed the perfect community that God had created. But then just like that, just like that, we see and get another picture of God's heart. We get another picture of God's desire. What immediately did he do when Adam and Eve realized what they'd done? It said that they realized they were naked. They ran and they hid. They took their puzzle piece and they took off and they hid from the presence of the Lord. But what we see in chapter three is the first search party. Genesis chapter three, verse eight. They, there's another plural, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. Now keep in mind, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking. Remember, this is not just God walking. So now all of a sudden you've got the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit walking together. So now we have the firstborn search party. We have a search party and what they're looking for are these broken pieces of the puzzle that have been scattered. And so now all of a sudden, here goes God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, God among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? You see, from that moment on, God set in motion the entire Bible. He set into motion the entire Bible at the birth of the first search party. He sent out a search party to find all of the shattered and the broken pieces. Because you see, that's God's heart. 
He wanted the community to be put back together. He wanted the community to be back in harmony and one with him because that's just who God is. I want you to flip to 2 Corinthians chapter five. 2 Corinthians chapter five, and we're gonna read here. We're gonna read here that, that God is the God of reconciliation. And we're gonna kind of break this up in a weird way. We've kind of stopped in the middle of some verses, but then we'll pick back up in a minute. In a minute. But 2 Corinthians chapter five, Verse 18, it says, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. I want you to stop right there because I want you to first understand that word reconcile is a word that a lot of times we throw out and we may not fully comprehend or understand what it means when God says that he reconciles. What reconcile means is an exchange or a change. And so what we know about the gospel is that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to exchange his life with death so that we, as the shattered, broken pieces of this puzzle, could have everlasting life. That is what it means to be reconciled. And when we place our faith in that, we're reconciled. We are made one back with the Father. Because when you read all through the Old Testament, we noticed that man exhausted himself. Man and woman exhausted themselves trying to earn God's love back. They knew the condition that they were in. They knew that sin had been birthed. They knew that everything had been shattered and destroyed, but they thought they had the ability in themselves to earn the love of God back. If I live this way, if I follow these rules, if I follow this law, then that means that God will be pleased with me. And if I'm good enough, that means that I can be one with God again based off my performance. But then all of a sudden we realize very quickly all through the Old Testament that in man's failed effort, that plan wasn't gonna work. So maybe you're here this morning and you're kind of like that Old Testament mindset. You've been taught your life that in order to, for God to love you, that you have to meet these certain expectations, that you have to live this certain way, that you have to follow these rules, that you have to follow this law. Can I tell you that is contrary to what the gospel teaches? I will go ahead and tell you now, you will never be good enough to earn God's love. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Just when we think we're good enough, it's still a stench in the Father's nostrils. Our good enough is not even close to the holiness of an almighty God. And so what we see here is we, we see what happens. In man's failed attempt, God said, you know what? My heart is still to reconcile my family back together. And so what he does in the flipping of the New Testament is when he sends his son Jesus he sends the son of God to a broken and a lost world to gather up all of the broken pieces that have been shattered. These broken pieces that have been trampled on, that have been lost, that have been destroyed, that have been dismantled. He sends his son and he says, go to the broken pieces and invite them back to a relationship with me. And so through the power of the Holy Spirit, he meets every broken piece right where they're at. He sends his son Jesus to meet us in our broken condition. 
This is what he does. And this, the idea behind it is to invite us back into the community that has been destroyed and dismantled. That's just how much God loves us is that he would send his son to do what we could not do. To do what we could not do. And then when we accept or receive that invitation that God has invited us back in, just like that, you're a part of that community. You're reconciled back to the Father. Can I tell you that I remember at 12 years old at Riverbend Baptist Church, I walked in as a broken, scattered piece of a puzzle that had no hope, that was being trampled on and the Holy Spirit of God met me right where I was at and invited me into the family of God. And guess what? The first night I said, nope, don't want anything to do with that. But I am thankful that I didn't sleep that night. That I walked back onto that church campus the next afternoon and I can tell you the Holy Spirit of God hit me right in the face again. You see, he was coming after me to reconcile me. And in that moment, I surrendered. I said, God, I can't do this. And I really prayed a spiritual prayer. You've heard it a thousand times. I said, God, save me. It's all I knew to pray. And in that moment, because he is the God of reconciliation, in that moment, he picked me up off the shattered ground and he placed me in his community. He placed me back in to his family. He put my piece of the puzzle back where it belonged in harmony and community with the father who loves me. And you see church, that's why I'm confident today in my salvation. It has nothing to do with me, but it has everything to do with the Holy Spirit invited me in and I said, yes, sir. And he picked me up and he placed me back in his family. It's not because I'm good enough. It's not because I fixed this or fixed that. It's because the Holy Spirit of God convicted me and I surrendered to that conviction. And he reconciled me back. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 19 or Hebrews chapter 10, keep your finger in 2 Corinthians. Keep it there. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22, this is how much the Father loves us. He desires, not that we can kind of, what breaks my heart is so many times you ask people, what's gonna happen when your life ends here? Are you gonna get to spend eternity in heaven? Uh, well, I hope I do. God didn't save us so that we could hope so. He saved us so that we can know so. And that's the confidence that we read about right here in in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 22. It says here, therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by how good we are. Is that what it says? No. We have confidence that we enter into a holy place by the blood of Jesus. That's it by a new and a living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that it is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, full assurance. He doesn't want us to doubt if we're saved or not. He wants us to have the full assurance that when the Holy Spirit convicted, we receive that invitation that we are saved by God's grace. It's confidence, it's assurance. And let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he promised, he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. 
Now our confidence, like we said just a moment ago, our confidence is not in what church we belong to. Our confidence is not in a church name. Our confidence is not in our popularity. Our confidence is not in how many Sundays that we have not missed Sunday school. Our confidence is not in how much money we have. Our confidence is not in our worldly success, but our confidence is only in the blood of Jesus Christ. Church, that's freeing. That should be liberating because it has nothing to do with us. It's all about him and it's all about what he has done. But you know, that's the beautiful part of the gospel because I could challenge every single one of you to come up here and look at this mess that I've made. But you know, every single piece of this puzzle looks different. It's all got different colors. They're all different shapes. They're all different sizes. But every single piece of the puzzle has a role in the family of God. And aren't you thankful that when he sent his son, Jesus, when the Holy Spirit comes to you, he doesn't come to these broken pieces and says, you know what? Ooh, that one is an addict. I don't want them. That one has cheated on his spouse multiple times. I don't want that one. That one's a thief. I remember that one murdered someone. I remember this one. They were addicted to pornography. I just don't want them. But you see the beauty of God's grace as he looks at every piece of the puzzle and says that addiction is what I died for. That addiction is what I laid my life down for. That cheating spouse is what I laid my life down for. That adulterer is what I laid my life down for. That sinner is what I laid my life down for. And I invite every piece of this puzzle, no matter the shape, no matter the size, no matter where you come from, I am inviting you in to be a part of this community of God. In church, he continues to come after us, no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done. And he places us back in this family of God, into this community not by what you've done, but by what he has done on the cross. That is salvation. But here's where it gets sticky. You ready? He tells us there that we can have the confidence in drawing near to him. If we're being drawn near to him into this community, and the Holy Spirit continues to save and the Holy Spirit continues to put the pieces of the puzzle together, guess what? You're drawn into a community. You're not drawn just into a relationship with God. You are drawn into doing life with people. You are drawn to doing life with other people who were in the same condition you were. And so here's the truth. You ain't gonna like all of them. Can we just say that? I think we can. And I know you're, my head just broke out in a sweat. Maybe I wasn't supposed to say that. Whew. But as we draw near to God, 
we're gonna draw near to other family members. We're gonna draw, be drawn near to other broken pieces of this puzzle. But God is not only in the reconciliation business to a relationship with himself, but he wants the body of believers to be reconciled back together. He wants this church to pit against that church. He wants disciples to pit against disciples. He wants us to get jealous of each other's ministries. That's what the enemy wants. But you see, God's heart is to reconcile all that to get everybody back on the same team. But now I want us to go on is in 2 Corinthians, I told you we were gonna flip, flip right back there. Hopefully your finger's still there. But in 2 Corinthians, read the rest of verse 18. Not only did he reconcile us, but then it said, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So God sent his only son to reconcile us back to himself. And then once we are saved, once we've received that invitation to be in this community of God, you know what he then does? The same very Holy Spirit that drew us to himself takes up residence in our hearts. And he says, now you too have the same ministry that my son did. And it is your job to reconcile. You go after the broken pieces of the puzzle. You say, well, Brian, does that mean we can save them? No, it doesn't mean we can save them. We can't save them, but it says that he's promised us the word of reconciliation, which is the very reason that we focused so much on biblical teaching last week. This right here is where we hang our hat. If you've been saved by the grace of God, you have a story. You have the story of reconciliation. You have the gospel. You know the good news. And so now as a follower of Christ, you were called by God not to just get reconciled and take a seat in a pew, but you've been reconciled and now you're empowered by the Holy Spirit and now you're given the ministry to go after the broken pieces. To go after the broken pieces. But what I love about Jesus, what I love about his heart is what we read there. And, and if you keep reading on down, he says, and namely that God was reconciling the world back to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Church, that's where we miss it. That's where we miss it. Because you see, as Christ reconciles, he doesn't count your trespasses against you. And aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that our sin doesn't forfeit us the right or the ability to be saved by grace? But you see church, what we're guilty of as believers is when we go after the broken pieces, we may get in the presence of these broken pieces and go, you know what? That one doesn't look quite like me. Ugh, I don't want nothing to do with them. That make me a little uncomfortable. That one doesn't smell like I do. That one doesn't come from the same tracks, side of the tracks that I do. You know what? Ugh. That one, I saw their Facebook post last night and I don't agree with their lifestyle. So mm, 
Because you know what we're doing? We're keeping records of wrong. We're counting their trespasses against them. What we need to learn to do is put on the lenses of Jesus. We need to put on these gospel glasses to where we see people the same way Jesus sees them. We see them in broken, lost pieces in need of a savior. This is how we need to see a lost world through the same lenses that Jesus saw them. And when we go to them, when they don't talk like we do, when they don't look like we do, when they're living a life that we don't live, guess what? You keep going after them because God has empowered you with a ministry of reconciliation. He wants you to tell them the good news. He wants you to tell them that you were once this broken piece and the Holy Spirit of God invited you in and he changed your life. That's what he wants you to do. That's what we're called by God to do. Church, we've got to quit standing in our churches as if we're in some holy huddle of all the people who have it figured out. Because the reality is, is that is sometimes in many cases, the definition of church is we sit here in our holy huddle and we just condemn what everybody else is doing. And we say, we are not, we're glad we're not like they are. Can I tell you church, you're a liar because you once were. You were lost and saved by God's grace. But can I tell you, just because you're in the family of God, you still ain't perfect. You're still gonna make mistakes. You're still gonna give in to temptation. You're still gonna give in to sin, but praise God, he doesn't count your trespasses against you. Be thankful for that today. The church is not a holy huddle of people who have it all figured out, but we're a vehicle to rescue the hurting people. We're a vehicle to rescue the hurting people. And you know what qualification you need to be rescued? You just gotta be broken. And guess what? Every person in this room was in that condition. Every single person in this room was in that broken condition. And the Holy Spirit came after you to reconcile you back to the Father. So here's all these broken pieces being placed back in the family of God. Here's this community that continues to grow. The Holy Spirit invites and people receive and the Holy Spirit of God moves in a mighty way. The pieces of the puzzle are being put back together and now the Holy Spirit comes upon us and now we have the ministry of reconciliation. We're called by God to do the very same thing, to go after the broken. And I know you may be thinking, well, now what? I get it, I'm saved. Thank God I'm not that broken piece of the puzzle anymore. Thankful that I've been saved by God's grace. I know that he wants me to go and share. I know that he wants me to live this thing out. I get all that, but, but, but what does this have to do with continuing to be a part of, of this community? Of this community of believers? And look, I'm not talking about just specifically here. Yes, this is the local community that God has called each of us to, but the Big C Church is a much bigger community. So you may think, well, what, what, what do I do? 
Flip back to Hebrews and that's the last time we're flipping, I promise. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 23 through 25. The writer of Hebrew challenges us here and he says this. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I want you to focus on the phrase there when he says, let us consider. So what do you do now that you're saved by God's grace? What do you do now that you're a part of this community? You're, you're, you're being merged with people that you may not like. You're being put into this family of God. So now what do I do? You do exactly what the scripture says. You, you consider one another. What that means is this. You fix your eyes and your mind on other believers. To expand on it a little bit more, just as very simple as I can put it, you keep an eye on each other. You keep an eye on your brother and sister in Christ. I love how it expands it even more. It says, you consider them attentively. Now look, it's no shocking news here that, that our community at Chestnut Mountain Church is growing. That we are growing. And so what is so important right now is that we don't get lost in the growth. God has still called us to be in part of an intentional community. Because I'll just be honest, last Sunday, I'm standing out in the lobby and a young couple comes up to me and they introduce themselves. And I said, it is so nice to see y'all. So nice to meet you. I know you from somewhere. Where have I seen you before? Because in most cases here, I taught them in middle school. But in that moment, they went, we've, we've, we've been coming here a year, but we never got to come and meet you. Church, that's a hard pill for me to swallow because I love people. But church, the reality is, it's gonna take all of us to create intentional community. Me, our staff, we're not gonna be able to do it on our own anymore. We're gonna need you. We're gonna need you to lock arms when people walk through the doors for the very first time. When people walk through the door, the 365th time, no, 52 times. There's not 365 Sundays in a year. Man, whew, I wish there was. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. See, that's when y'all go back. Yep, North Hall, I get it. Well, you get it. Yep, I missed that one. But you see, that is the importance of you not just coming in here and getting out. That's why we're so passionate about you being a part of a small group community. That's why we're so passionate about you serving. Look, you say, well, you just want me to serve so I can, so there's not as many gaps. No, I want you to be a part of the community because when you're serving with people, that becomes your community. You experience life change with each other. You get to see kids surrender their life to Christ. You get to see students surrender their life to Christ. 
You get to be a part of something. You get to be a part of the team who wins. You get to be a part of that. But when we're keeping an eye on one another, you know what happens? We notice when someone's missing. We notice when someone's not here. You can ask my wife, I go home every Sunday and I'll sit in my recliner and I begin to scroll through. Who did I not see? Who did I not see? And I'll pick up my phone and I'll begin to text. Hey, missed you today. Missed you today. But church, this little brain's small. We're not gonna be able to comprehend everybody that's not here. But church, we've gotta be intentional. And so when our brothers and sisters in Christ fall back into some of the sin that God has delivered and saved them from, when we see people that have separated themselves, when we see people withdrawing from this local community, what we have to understand is there's gotta be a reason behind it. Maybe they're ashamed. Maybe it's what's going on at home. So remember, we're given the ministry of reconciliation. We're to go after the ones who aren't here. We're to go after the ones who are missing. You say, well, Brian, how do I do that? You do exactly what the scripture says. You hold fast to your faith. You hold fast to your community and you reach out and you grab whoever's not here and you invite them back into the family. You invite them back into the community. You say, look, we haven't seen you in a while. Well, Brian, you don't know what I'm going through. I don't care what you're going through, but we wanna come around you and love you. That's it. But instead, church, you know what we do? We go to our small group and instead of talking to people, we just talk about them. Instead of going to people and asking them where they're at, we just assume why they're not and that turns into our prayer request. Because we can justify anything through prayer, can't we? Did you hear what so-and-so? Now look, I'm not saying, if anybody ever says, I'm not saying this just, this is not gossip, but I just want you to pray. No, it's not. Instead of talking about them, talk to them. Instead of talking about them, hold each other accountable. But let me warn you, when we hold each other accountable, the first line of defense, you're being judgmental. No, I'm not, I'm loving you. But you've gotta be obedient. Look, they may receive it, they may not receive it. That's on them. But you hold fast to your faith. You're in the business of reconciliation. You go back after them. Because as we're considering, as we're looking at one another, Paul tells us we stimulate each other to love, to good deeds. But in order to stir someone to love, you must first stir them with love. In order to stir someone to love, you must first stir them with love. And then verse 25 is where we're gonna land this plane. Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
don't forsake the church. Don't forsake assembling together in small group in this building. Because we live in a world right now that is full of distractions. And I believe with everything in me, one reason that we have grown the way that God has allowed us to grow is because he used something like a virus to open our eyes to help us to see that we need a community, that we need people around us. But we live in a world that is full of excuses of why not to be here. I was in a conversation just a moment ago. And somebody was sharing with me just a couple of weeks ago that right here in this hallway, Mr. Marty Woodall, not a hair on his head, cane in his hand, coming to faithfully serve the body of Christ. If anybody had an excuse not to be here, it was him. Because I can promise you he didn't feel like being here. I can promise you physically, it took all he had to go from the parking lot to the top floor or wherever he meets now. He understood not to forsake the assembling together with others. Church, what excuse do we have? What excuse do we have? Jefferson Bethke shared it this way. He said, trying to do church on your own is like sitting on a stool with one leg. Some of you are gonna go home and saw three legs off your stools and you're going, I'm gonna see if that's hard. But when you think about it, you can even put one leg with it and you might can still balance it for just a little while. You put three legs with it, getting a little bit easier. You put four legs, there's strength in number church. You put a community of legs together and the days you feel like falling over, your brother and sister of Christ are gonna catch you. That's what intentional community looks like. That's what intentional community is about. But here's what I want you to understand as we draw close to one another, if we're a part of a community, let me go ahead and tell you, it's going to get messy because we're all messes. We've all got sin. We've all got skeletons in the closet. We've all got things that we're ashamed of. So when we're called to do life with a lot of more imperfect people, guess what? We're gonna be a part of an imperfect community. But I don't know about you, but I am thankful that there's coming a day when that community will be absolutely perfect. So as we come closer together, church, let's stop expecting each other to be perfect because we're not and we're never gonna be. Instead of talking about people in their mess, just get in the mess with them. Just get in the mess with them.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org and don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.